Hello, everybody. Welcome to Same Team. I am your host, Daniel Trainer. How's it going? Thank you very much for listening. Happy to have you here. You know, the beauty of having a podcast that you record and edit and produce all on your own is the fact that when your computer decides to crash and burn, so does the podcast. So that's what happened to me. My computer decided that it didn't want to work anymore, but we're back up and running and the podcast is as well, hopefully smooth sailing from here on out. We're back with a good one. My guest today, Matt Lichtenstatter. Matt is a writer, a reporter, uh, all-around sports aficionado. Uh, We had a very great conversation, a long, good chat, covered a lot of different stuff. Uh, Matt is particularly noteworthy because he just came out uh, in an essay he wrote for Outsports, came out as bisexual, which we talk a lot about. Kind of an interesting thing, you know, Matt's the first bisexual person who's been on the podcast. I think that's something that's very important to cover. We talk a lot about uh, how that can be hard sometimes, how even people within the community itself can be uninformed. So Matt has a lot to say about that. It's a really fun conversation. I hope you enjoy. Once again, my apologies for the show being gone for a while, but you know what? Life happens, all right? So listen, here's my chat with Matt Lichtenstatter. Enjoy. Well, I'm excited to have you on. Uh, I would love to sort of get to uh, to where you are now and everything that's been happening with you over the past year. But uh, I'd love to go back to the beginning first. Where did you uh, grow up? Where did I grow up? I grew up outside of Philadelphia, South Jersey. Um, I've been living in the same house my entire life. So if that informs a little bit of where my story comes from, maybe it helps. It's, it's been a place that I've only known. I've only known this one place. And there's not much more to say other than it's typical American Northeast suburbia. Sure. What, what's it like growing up outside of Philly? Uh, if you don't like Philadelphia sports teams, you'll get lynched. Okay, maybe <laughs> not like that, but... <laughs> I, I assume that means... Which that I you... don't, so it's, it's, it's a personal experience. Wait, you don't? How come? Lots of reasons. Oh, what? Also, like have what? you seen Philly sports fans? No, I'm just kidding. Well, they're, they're I have. Nice well, sure, I have. I, I can understand. But as somebody from outside Philadelphia, I thought that maybe you'd have a little affection for them. Uh, mostly not. So who are your no. teams then? Did you, who, okay. Are you like a black sheep? Uh, as opposed to, uh, well, if the black sheep in the family doesn't root for New York teams, then I guess technically yes. But I... You follow on Twitter, you will see, and I know you do, and yes. I don't know how many of your listeners do. Yeah, everybody at, should be. What's your Twitter yes, handle? At Matt's Musings 1. It's hey. great to pimp out myself, which I normally don't do. Well, uh, hey, happy to help. That uh, on my Twitter, you will notice that I like a certain football team from Northeast Florida. Yeah. Which I have liked for a very long time. So, that, how does that happen? As a, as a kid from Philly, how does that happen? How does that happen? Well, when I was younger, my father was a Jets fan. So when I was younger, I watched with him and I watched the Jets. And then I wasn't, as a six-year-old, very woke and saying, hey, the Jets are horrible. You wouldn't just want to subject this terribleness to your son. No, that didn't happen that way. Uh, <laughs> what happened was uh, Vinny Testaverde got hurt when I was six. Week one of the 99 season, I was a very smart six-year-old and said, the Jets are going to be bad this year. They finished eight and eight, but that's not really the point. And then... 
I looked around and said, hey, there's this team that has this animal I like, the Jaguars. I'm going to root <laughs> for them because this is what you do when you're six. Sure. And then, owing to a psychotic passion that can only be explained by the nation's top psychiatrists, I've stuck with them until basically now. Well, it, it's paid off a little bit lately, at least. That was the first time they made the playoffs since I was in middle school. Yeah, that hadn't been very exciting I'm for you. I'm 25 years old. The last time they made the playoffs, I was, well, last year I was 24. Well, uh, the first time they made the playoffs since I was 14. Well, listen, I, I'm from Detroit, so the sympathy that I have... You're also recording a podcast in the middle of a Lions game. That's bold. Listen, I, I would be lying if I said I didn't have it on in the room where I am well, right now. Well, I have now. it on, too. I have it on, too, but... I have to be honest, if it, if it was a, me recording a podcast during a Jaguars game, I couldn't do that. Well, I'm not. I mean, I'm from Detroit. I'm a Lions fan, but my Lions fandom has never been that extreme. You know, I, I've, I'm, I consider myself a Lions fan. I watch every game, but I, I've never been a diehard Lions fan. I mean, they sort of fall sort of a few steps below sort of my hardcore teams you know like I'm a fan I follow but I think partially because it's just been very difficult my entire life I mean really everybody who considers themselves alliance fan it's been difficult for their entire lives as well but it's just tough to get that excited about it and there's I mean especially this year I think but uh well, I, I know do it for the Jaguars and y'all could do it for the Lions it's basically the same existence well yeah I, I know and it sucks but I could still do Die Hard forever and well until I get into the media in which case I could say, yes, I was a Jaguars fan. I kind of still am. You can't erase that from your being. But you might not necessarily be, you know, the diehard crazy that I was. I'm not certainly – I mean, yeah, I'm a big fan. But I was watching at the game yesterday. I was seeing people. I'm like, I'm not like that anymore. I mean, I'm a big fan. Right. Don't get me wrong. But it's not like oh, I was a kid. I'd tell the family, get out of the house on Sundays. It's not really safe to be around. And when there was a lot of losing, there was a lot of things being thrown around. Yeah. I relate to that. I, I do feel like I've come into that a little bit lately, too, where like my sort of sports fandom has matured because I used to be that same way, too. Like for Detroit Red Wings games, like particularly in the playoffs, I couldn't watch with anybody. I would go down into our basement. I would watch by myself. If anybody talked to me, they were just on my list for weeks. And so I, I've sort of relaxed in that a little bit. I'm still as big of a fan, but I think my sort of hardness and toughness for it has worn off a little bit which i think is is good i think it's also because your team is bad now okay you know what matt it has been tough i acknowledge that uh oh, I, I, for a team that's worse than hockey you can you can imagine wait who's your hockey team florida oh right i should so all this all these florida teams well the well okay the, the panthers was not really anything other than i one of the first hockey games i went to when i started being cognizant of hockey was a Panthers game uh -huh. and so I, I felt like oh, this team's all right why not and then when I started to pay more attention I wouldn't consider myself a fan until a lot later but the first year I was paying attention to them was a year when they almost made the playoffs which for the Panthers is a great season sure throw a parade down Las Olas Boulevard in Fort Lauderdale for that but that was like that was 0809 and that was when I started following them and I became more of a fan as time went on and then I realized boy you made another great decision here look at this dumpster <laughs> fire you decided to root for boy that was another wonderful decision you've made oh, and so man. no no one it's very hard to top what I have gone through as a sports fan in terms of suffering and it's almost like y'all don't don't know like, <laughs> I, I put myself through it and I stick with it but suffering is something that I can describe to others they might not be able to describe to me even Philly fans, I'm like, you've seen your team win two titles. I and was going to say, that's, that's tough to say to fans in Philly. made it to a final 
well, they would say it to me. They would say it to me, and I've seen that. And I said, no, you can't complain about this now. Every single one of the Philly sports teams, the major four, has been to at least a final in my lifetime. My teams have made it to a combined one. (laughs) So the Panthers in 96 don't count because I'm not cognizant at that point of anything going on in the world of sports. Sure. So it doesn't count. But beyond that, it's one compared to four. Or in the Phillies now, you've got five. Uh, Okay, now that I'm counting it, it's six because of the the Eagles. Whoops. I'm losing track of all these things. They happened when I was younger things are looking up that must be tough for you to deal with uh I, I when i was in high school i was a jerk about it i i rooted against philly teams almost harder than i rooted for my teams because another team i liked this one was a family thing was the mets so yeah it was not fun to be in a it was wow. not fun to be a mets fan in philadelphia for a couple of years oh it was it was awful and so i was in high school when everybody else was happy i was like okay i need to make sure that i make sure they are as suffering as possible that they have no fun in their lives with <laughs> sports because if i can't have it they can't have it that was my mindset for years so what kind and then, of- I, and then i went to college and then it kind of dissipated although you can't get rid of feelings like that yeah. very easily it's so they linger what kind of kid were you were you always trying to to be this sort of rebel outsider who's going against the grain somewhat i mean with sports fandom i just picked it up and it was just who i was yeah, I mean, when I was younger, that was just kind of my life. Of I, I rooted for the teams that I rooted for. I picked up more when I was defined as a young man of being a Jaguars fan. And the story of that is when they were in the Super Bowl. The Eagles were in the Super Bowl playing the Patriots. I was in fifth grade, weirdly enough, in Jacksonville. And I, they had a pep rally the Friday before the game. And I went in wearing a Byron Leftwich jersey because I'm like, you can't make me do this. Why do I have to go to this assembly? I don't like this team. And so that was my that was my uh, way. And then I picked up more teams as time went on because I realized you couldn't just be a football fan. It would be kind of boring if you were. Yeah. But I mean, I was kind of I guess in many ways I was old. I, I acted older than I was. I wasn't really a. Someone said I think it was my elementary school principal said this guy's like a forty year old trying to communicate with ten year olds. <laughs> that's yeah. That's kind of the vibe I'm getting. It, it was all it was all like that. So socially, it was sports. And me, me trying to be smarter than everybody at that and then picking the NCAA tournament, which was only really the two things I cared about that much as a, as a, as a young kid. Yeah. As I got older, I picked up more sports and started to care more. Uh, you don't grow into your own. Like, I didn't grow up paying attention to all these teams. I paid attention to one. Right. And it was a singular focus until, until middle school-ish, high school. And then I started to pick up on other things because I realized, eh, if you're a football fan, you're going to go through eight months of having nothing. Well, I and know. that's not a lot of fun. Yeah, you gotta you gotta find so some I other stuff. I tried to find something to pass the time. Yeah. So when did when did covering sports and writing about sports come into your life? When did you start picking that up and thinking about that as a profession? When I realized when I was very young that I couldn't play it very well. <laughs> right. What what sports did you play when, growing when, up? When I I played soccer until my sister was better, Ooh. and then that that stunk. Then I played baseball, but I, I, I remember once being told I was hitting like ninth or 10th or 11th. We were setting you up for the top of the lineup or something like that. And I said, and I realized now I'm like, no, it's because I was terrible at it. <laughs> Stop playing after like fifth grade. Setting you but up for the top of the line. At least they were creative was, about it. It was creative. And I only think about that now. It's like, wow, that was a, the worst backhanded compliment ever. <laughs> Me now would be going like, I can't even say that to a kid. I think they'll figure it out. Yeah, probably. Uh, uh, then I played some basketball for a while. Terrible at that too. Played tennis for a little bit longer. 
wasn't terrible at that, yeah. but you know, it's different. So yeah. when I was like 10, uh, family saw this advertisement for a sports broadcasting camp outside of Philadelphia and like, oh, this is a good place for to put him for a summer. He'll, he'll be interested in that. Yeah. Off you go. And That's that was the cool. end of that. That was the end of that. They don't oh. have one of those in Detroit. They, oh, they may, they, they might have in recent years. I haven't been paying attention, but it was basically a Philly thing. That's really a, cool. So what? The guy so, who created it was outside of Philadelphia. So you're 10 years old and you go to the sports broadcasting camp. What did you? What sort of stuff did you do? You talked with first year. Talked with Sal Palantonio. Nice. Because it was Philly. Yep. And he, I, there's a, probably a signed picture somewhere in my house of Sal Pal from 2004. And I had to explain that the Jaguars were going to be good that year. They ended up being 9-7. Of course, that was the year the Eagles made the Super Bowl. Yeah. But you did that. You talked with some sports media people, a lot of Philly guys. Uh, you did, like, you had trivia contests. You, like, did mock play-by-play games. They took you to games. You give you a little tape recorder. Oh, it's so and you fun. you did that. They had, they had something called the play-by-play machine where they used to get it. Oh, this is, this is old school now. I can't believe I'm saying this. But they had a VHS tape. Ugh. They used the sound. And then they had a mic that it fed it to you. And what they did was then you'd call over it some major sporting events from history. Right, and right. And now I don't know I don't know what they do now because I haven't been to that camp. I tried to be a counselor but couldn't. Uh, didn't been those like seven years. But that's what they did when I was like 10 or 11. It was the coolest thing ever because you could call over really famous sporting events. And you'd get to go to games. You'd get stadium tours. You'd do like mock stand-ups, like mock ESPN reports. yeah. It was really cool. It oh, was a lot amazing. of fun. It was great for a 10-year-old who had no idea that this existed. Oh, yeah. And then I realized it existed and like, okay, I think this might be my calling. And so I went back to those camps for like a million years That's... until until I aged out of it. And then they didn't bring me back to be a counselor. Oh, well. Oh, well. I mean, that sounds like a really great experience. That reminds me because I, I grew up in Orange County a little bit. I lived in Orange County for like four or five years growing up. And at Angels games, they might still have this. I don't know. But in the outfield behind left field, they sort of have all these games for sort of kids and families to do during the game. And they have like a fake broadcast booth where you can sort of wait in line and then you go in and you put a headset on and it's sort of set up the same way. It's like you pick, I don't know, one of five great plays in Angels history and then you just record your call of the play and it was my favorite part of going to games. I just loved it so much. I would go every time. More than actually going to see the team. Oh, totally. Oh, totally. I mean, I, I loved the game as well, but it was such a weird little niche thing for them to have that I just loved so much because I was the same way. Like, I really wanted to be a sports broadcast I remember like thinking very strongly about being a play-by-play guy. I, I remember sending emails to play-by-play announcers, doing interviews with them for school projects. Like that's really what I think I saw myself doing. And for for one reason or another, I guess I, it just kind of fell by the wayside. I, I never decided I didn't want to do it. It just kind of fell fell away, I guess. But for years, that was like a a real passion of mine. So that that broadcasting camp, I would have just eaten that up. That sounds incredible. They had them in L.A. eventually later. Yeah. I mean, you, you wouldn't have been able to get to L.A. because it's Orange County. So. Yeah. You would have been stuck in traffic for four hours. You would have oh. had to leave at five in the morning to get to a camp that started at nine. Oh, it would have been it would have been worth it. it prob- probably. I mean, for a lot of young kids, it probably is. I mean, I know kids from that camp who ended up doing stuff. Yeah. I mean, some of them. Like, it, it turned out that one of the guys I met the last camp I did is now actually the editor of the site I do a podcast for, which was the weirdest thing that ever happened. Oh, really? And I was like, oh, right, you're that kid. Oh, that's so funny. By the way. It, was, it was definitely funny, but some of the counselors are good broadcasters. I talked to a lot of people that I, I still know from there. 
I'm friends with the uh, the guy who founded the camp. I know him. I've known him forever. If if thy name gets brought up, they'll be like, oh uh, yeah, I know him. Uh, yeah. Well, it's such a weird. That's such a specific thing, especially at ten years old as a young kid to want to do right. So like, if you're doing that, you must be pretty serious about it, and you must have such an interest in it. It's not like you're going to a basketball camp. You're not going to summer camp. Like sports. Well, I did go to summer camp otherwise, but I mean, yeah. like, even then, like that was still a lot of fun. It was a week. So it was a contained experience, Yeah, but it was still a ton of fun to go do that. And it also, it was, it was great for somebody who realized at 10, like I can't play professionally, but right. I like this. And then it's like, well, how can we make sure that this poor kid who likes sports too much as a way to get a job right. and interact with <laughs> yeah. other people yeah. without going way into information about sports or Kingdom Hearts, because that was that was that pays my life, too. Oh, yeah, but, for sure. But that was it's a lot of fun. They're big now. And I think more kids probably realize. Well, now when you could when you could actually think about it, everybody's doing that every day because that's basically what Snapchats are going on Twitch is. It's just with video games instead of sports. It's kind right. of the same thing. Yeah, but, I mean, absolutely. That was that was when I went to the first time because again, 2004 doesn't seem like that long ago, but it is. It's something now that you think about where it's like it was kind of new at the time. Now it's not really as much, and because we have social media and you have all sorts of stuff you could do, it's different. But still, those camps offer you a chance to meet broadcasters and talk to people and do all these crazy sorts of things that you wouldn't get to otherwise do. And then they added the sleepaway element of it, and then after the camp ended itself, everyone. You'd play like this weird pseudo soccer style game on the carpets of wherever you were staying, and you'd call it Rugburn Ball. It was really fun. That sounds like, great. And you and, and you and you sat down and you watched sports all night. Yeah. Like it actually seems like it's a great idea, and it is. It's a lot of fun. It was better than going to sleepaway camp when they actively hold you off and made sure you can't connect with the outside world. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If you weren't somebody who liked swimming or rowing or any of these things that you did at summer camp, you'd go to this for a week. Right. The problem is it was only a week. It wasn't that long. But, I mean, you could go to camps in other cities and meet other different – that's the other thing that they added with it is, like, they do it in Chicago. They did it in South Florida. They did it in Atlanta once or multiple times. L.A., New York, Boston is a big one, obviously. Yeah. So they do it, like, everywhere. And it's still going. It's called I think it's called play-by-play camps or whatever the hell it is. You can look it up if you're interested, and you have ch- you have young children. You could send them there. That's sweet. I'll, so, I'll, 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 Jeremy, I'm giving you business. <laughs> Jeremy, I hope you're listening. Yeah, he he. Everyone who's listening know who I'm talking about, so that's okay. So so getting into high school, what sort of stuff are you doing? Did you were, are you writing for the paper? Are you doing any sort of sports stuff in high school? Who were you? Uh, who were you then? I was a jerk in high school because I realized what sarcasm was. No, uh, I, well, hey. I, well, this, this is true. When I went to my five-year high school reunion, I'm like, you know, I was kind of a dick to these people. <laughs> Did they tell you that? No, I, I realized that myself. Yeah. I was surprised people were like, oh, hey, Matt, more than I was expecting. Yeah. Oh, well. Uh, in high school, I took stats for the freshman football team one of the years and then realized that was kind of boring because they didn't have hash marks. So you had to kind of guess what the stats were. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And that one, that one fun. Uh, I played tennis a lot. Most of the things I did, I started writing paper online. The first fantasy football thing I wrote was in 2009 was on the, uh, the school's website. The East, it's called where I went was the school paper. Uh, mm-hmm. and I wrote it on the website cause it didn't fit in the paper. 
And then I started my own blog a year later and started putting it there. Yeah. Uh, so I did that for a while just as sort of like a passion because I enjoyed it. And really it was that. And then I joined up with the paper. I was, did the opinions editing because I didn't want to do sports to try to branch myself out. I did the opinions editing in the last year with somebody who you'll actually you'll like this. Challenged Michelle Bachman. This is 2012 presidential cycle. Yep, 2011. Yep. Challenged her to a, a duel about the Constitution. That was one of my co-editors in high school. At <laughs> the opinions. I don't know where she is now, but she's, she's, I think she's involved in politics. Uh, well, we that, don't really know where Michelle Bachman happen. is now either. Well, I'm not going to comment on that, but that was a thing that <laughs> happened. And it was the co one of my co-editors for the opinion section that, uh, my uh, senior year in high school. Oh, this sounds so, like a great paper. It was, it was a great paper. I, it's a, a lot of good stuff happened there. Lots of people who eventually either went to college to do sports writing or were passionate about it, uh, wrote there. It was a good, it was a good student paper at high school. It was I know. Really I, I got, I kind of lucked out the same way too. Like if I look back at my high school paper, I wrote for it for uh, two years, two or three, I can't remember two or three years, but there were people on it like who are at the New York Times now, who are at the Chicago, because I went to high school, most of it outside Chicago. So I have mm -hmm. friends who are, uh, you know, writing at the Tribune, doing stuff with the Cubs. Like, it, it's kind of wild to look back and see all these, you know. One of them is now an NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, same year as me. Yeah. So another was a good friend who was a really good writer, but gave up on it because sports media is a terrible business. But uh a lot of good people were in there, and they're really smart. It was again, it was a upper middle class suburban high school outside of Philadelphia. But it was really they prided themselves in the paper. The uh, the guy who ran it still runs it, and he he was great. One of my one of my favorite teachers in high school was the guy who ran that paper. So he, I mean, it was a fun place to work, and it was a fun place to remember. Like, oh, here's all these things that we did, and there were a lot of cool stories that ended up being written about a lot of interesting topics. Mm -hmm. So. That was that was something we did, and we had a lot of freedom there. Uh, it was fun. I never wrote about sports because I didn't really want to because I didn't like most of the sports teams in my high school. Because well, the basketball team was good, um, the football team was bad, uh, and I didn't really like most of the people who played the sports in my high school. So I was kind of like, I don't want to write about these people. I can't be I can't be objective when I'm writing about people I dislike. So yeah, sure. But so, it was also at that point, you know, I started doing my own my own stuff. I wrote fantasy columns. I wrote random crap. It's on – I've posted stuff that I've written on my blog. Now I don't write it for it as much anymore. It's just a place to write predictions and one-off things that I can't find to write anywhere else. But yeah, I wrote, sure. I wrote random stuff there. I wrote predictions. I even wrote like a joke column once based on a – uh, uh, hockey, you, you'll know this because it's hockey. Down Goes Brown where I did like year-end joke like awards and stuff yeah, like sure. that. And that, that was kind of fun, but mostly it was just places to put like fantasy football columns, which I, I wrote basically out of obligation to myself until I was until I found more places to write. So that, that was that was high school. I'd just being a, a sports fan that was biggest sports fan and most opinionated in high school. So then you end up in Maryland for school, right? Yes, I did. How does that happen? Well, I go to Maryland. I tour schools and I didn't really know what I wanted. I knew I wanted to do this. But I didn't know where I wanted to go. I did study the summer at Syracuse, which was a lot of fun. Syracuse is not terrible in the summer when it isn't under two feet of snow. <laughs> yeah, it's freezing. Right. But it's also hyper competitive. And anybody who has been there will tell you, I mean, a lot of good broadcasters get produced there. But you got to be the best of the best of the best to get any sort of shot. Sure. And so I realized that, you know, the competition is so hard there from all sorts of people who you're going to be going up against 
that you just don't if you're not somebody who thrives in that you, you don't really want to be there right. you know because you might not get all these opportunities and there were a lot of other places that you could go i wanted to be with an earshot of home i realized that i liked that a little bit more and syracuse is seven hours and you know i you apply to northwestern you applied to all sorts of schools like that and maryland was one i toured it really late but it has a sports journalism program, uh, Povich School mm-hmm. and Povich Center, and it's great. And you got a lot of opportunities there. It was really enjoyable when I went down. It was a two-hour train ride. And so I said, I'm going to go here. Little did I know what I was getting myself into. I mean, I love Maryland. It was the best decision I ever made to go there. Absolutely great. But little did I know what I was getting into in covering Maryland sports. Well, we, another, another, it, another it, expand, great expand on that, Matt. Well, let's see. My freshman year, all the quarterbacks tore their ACLs, so a linebacker was starting a quarterback by game nine. Wait, so your fre- so, wait, so your freshman year is what year? 2012. 2012. 2012. Okay. 2012. So that's Sean Petty for you who don't. If you're a Maryland fan and you're listening to this, you know this already. <laughs> uh, especially because I harp on it on on the Maryland podcast I do all the time when I say no one can complain about quarterbacks being bad or injured because I've seen it all and I've been watching this team for five years yeah so that was my first year at maryland and then like two weeks after that it was a game against georgia tech two weeks after that it's rumored on a friday that they're going to announce on a monday they're moving to the big 10 this is a week before thanksgiving yeah and so then they do and we're playing florida state on a saturday and all the fsu fans are there and there's a lot of them maryland was terrible at that point because they had no quarterback and it was randy edsel as the head coach Hooray for us. Uh, <laughs> could have been Mike Leach. It was Randy Edsel instead. Uh, and so we're at that game and we're just like, we don't really know what to do with our, like those who are there because it was a sparse crowd at that point because Maryland was terrible. And football does not mean nearly as much as basketball does in Maryland. And I'm sure, I'm sure you probably, know, you know that more now, yep. obviously, or yep. what college you went to. Yep. But it was such a weird atmosphere. And then, I mean, I had a student radio show with, the the student radio station for sports for four years and it was the same friend of mine who I went with the Giants game to yesterday and we just were kind of wondering like what do we do now with this moving to the Big Ten because we didn't really know what that meant like we didn't understand like I had to like listen to Scott Van Pelt saying here's what this means Uh so Maryland was an ACC team as far as I was concerned for about three months and then they really weren't an (laughs) ACC team anymore right so it was just odd. So, and then my last two years, we were in the Big Ten, and that was bizarre getting used to. Well, right. Because uh, even that, because because the students chant "F Duke" at every football game, right. and Still? there was a mini ride on Route One when Maryland beat Duke at home my freshman year, and that was a big deal. And there are the Washington Post videos on here's the Maryland Duke rivalry, and it wasn't. You know, it's not Duke UNC, but it was a big deal. And of course, for three years at the turn of the 2000s, it was the biggest deal in college basketball, and it was crazy. Mm-hmm. And like that all went away, and we didn't really know like what what are we? I mean, okay, we can hate Penn State. I mean, that's nice. Yeah. We can hate Rutgers. Well, they're just pitiable, so we can't really hate them. I mean, what? Oh, we're in the same division as all these good football teams. Well, that's that's great. I mean, we just left Florida State and Clemson and went to Ohio State and Penn State and Michigan. Fun. And Michigan the State was, and I deliberately excluded them because I'm going to needle you on that point because it's fun. But <laughs> I make fun of everybody. This is my life story. I if, listen. If I appreciate I know it. you. I'm going to make fun of you, and I'm going to make fun of your sports teams more than likely, and that happens. 
but like the first year wasn't really indicative because Michigan was terrible and we beat them on the road. Penn State was terrible. That was the Stefan Diggs, they didn't shake their hands game where everybody got up in arms and Maryland won. And it was my greatest moment as a Maryland fan uh, to watch them go into Penn State in the first year that they're playing again, not shake their hands. And Stefan Diggs got suspended for those antics, which was stupid. Yeah. But it was it was great because it was like, oh, we're going to be – it was never that great again, obviously. Right. Um. And I mean, basketball is obviously, you know, Maryland is the number one sport at the school. I mean, they're better at soccer, men's soccer and lacrosse, but basketball is by far and away the most important thing at Maryland, owing to the fact that they were an ACC school that competed with Duke and UNC and NC State for all these years. And so basketball was fun. You got every time you watched and you saw it when Michigan State would come to Maryland, they, they, you'd get great atmospheres in that building. It is so much fun to be at Xfinity Center when it is full and the students care. Yeah. Like when the students don't care, it's not necessarily great. But when the students care and it's a big team coming in, they they had the flash mob for some of those games. You might have seen that. Yeah. Uh, those are so much fun. I covered one where it was top 10 Maryland versus Iowa my senior year. I called that game and it was probably one of the best atmospheres I've ever been at at any sporting event. It was so much fun. And the the caring gets to be to a point where – I mean, Maryland fans, particularly about basketball, are very passionate, sometimes irrational. You can say that about almost every basketball school in Michigan State's included in that. Uh, and right. so last year was not a lot of fun. But, like, that's what I did. And obviously, as a huge soccer guy, if you see me on Twitter, you know I love soccer and cover yeah. it. Did a lot with Maryland soccer, and I know that program very well. Uh, so that, that, I mean, that was, of course, a lot of fun to get to go to some of those to some of those games and call a few of them. Didn't do as many as I would have liked, obviously, but that was a ton of fun. And so I did that. I, yeah, as I said, I did sports radio. Like the weird thing now, and I didn't, and I didn't pay much attention to this when I was in school, was when, when, when we moved to the Big Ten, BTN comes in and they do all this retrofitting and they had BTN Student U where you could do all the production for the games and you could call a lot of the lesser sports. Uh-huh. Like most of the stuff is called by students. A couple of men's basketball games are called by students. And by the time that I was there, BTN Student U I don't think was really set up my junior year, my senior year. When it was getting set up, I didn't realize – I thought it was only production, not play-by-play. So I went to the radio and I did a lot of play-by-play my senior year for a lot of sports. But I didn't really realize it at that point that it was, oh, it was play-by-play. So by the time that I was leaving, I'm like, oh, damn. Right. If I had gone to school a year later, it would have been a little bit better. Yeah. But the, the kids that graduated last year were the last students at Maryland to watch Maryland play ACC games. Like, that's kind of crazy when you think about it. But it, it's obviously great because it's got a great journalism program. Obviously, it's a lot politics-focused because you're in Washington – but great sports program, obviously. Kevin Blackstone's on the staff, and I took three of his classes, and he's awesome. That's cool. You know, lots of good, lots of good people. I mean, again, I mean, you have Scott Van Pelt, but you also have Tim Kirkchin and a lot of other great people who are Maryland alums or Maryland centric who come back and they talk all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, Greg Wyshynski, who's one of my favorite hockey writers, is a Maryland alum. Like, oh, all I don't, the, I don't all know the if the I knew that. He is Stephen Wino, who writes for the AP, is a Maryland alum. Yeah, uh, one of the. A lot of guys who wrote for NHL.com, I think, who is it, Corey Masasek, I think? I hope I'm getting that right. Who writes for the Athletic, now covers the Devils. I think he went to Maryland. It was like all the hockey writers went to Maryland. So I was like, oh, this is cool. And so, I mean, you got all of them. They'd come to talk. And lots of good people. Like, there are a ton of good sports writers now that went to Maryland. Funny enough, 
one of the, the Jaguars new beat writer for The Athletic is somebody who I think, I didn't know well, but I think wrote at the Diamondback when I was at Maryland and covered sports there. So it's like Maryland's got a good sports writing history. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's quite an arsenal. It, it's not like, oh, we have Mike Tirico, Bob Costas, Sean McDonough, all these people. But it's yeah. pretty good for what it's worth. It's not Syracuse or Northwestern, who are the two schools you would think of for this. But Maryland's pretty good in of itself. And so it's a good pedigree. It's, I love it. And I always would tell people, you got to go to places where the internships are, even though you can do a lot of stuff now yourself. You still got to go to places where the internships are. Yeah, and for Syracuse, sure. you have to leave to go to many to do your internships because, I mean, you've got a hockey team, you've got a uh, baseball team, and you've got the stations, and that's about all you can intern for before you got to leave. Yeah. And in Northwestern, it's pretty good. Michigan, you could get away with it. I applied to Michigan. And Missouri, it's a bit harder because it's Columbia. I mean, a lot of good schools that have these programs. But the one that I went to, I liked the most because it was close to home and it had everything. Because between Baltimore and Washington, you had a ton of options yeah. for what you wanted to do. Now, I didn't really intern anywhere in that vicinity, but you had a ton of things that you could do. And it all it all worked out well. I loved it there. I love it there. I, I would redo that 100 times out of 100 to go there. Yeah. just wish I had a little bit more foresight of knowing, oh, what, what does this mean with Maryland's moving into the Big Ten? When you see all the BTN ads... When I was a sophomore, like, hey, Big Ten Network is coming to Maryland. I'm like, what does this mean? I thought it meant just retrofitting stuff in, like, the football team's facility. And well, you know, it. hindsight. You know what they say, Matt. Oh, it is definitely hindsight with, with that. <laughs> yeah. Hindsight, well, I wish I didn't have to root for Maryland sports teams because it's just painful. Well, you know, what are you going to do? But, I, again, I already root for bad teams. Well, it wasn't listen, like I mean, you get to be Texas two years in a row. That's fun. Well, yes, I have to say that was a lot of fun. Uh, beating Texas is wonderful because now I have to say, if you would, as, as I talked about on the podcast I do, it's Testudo Tides podcast, by the way, if you're interested, because I'm pimping myself out a lot yes, here. Yes, please listen. Yes. I mean, if you're interested in Maryland sports, don't know why necessarily you would be, but. Is there anything are, else going on with Maryland football in the past year? I don't know. Nothing? Nothing comes to mind? Uh, not at Thing that has happened other than quarterbacks tearing their ACLs and me making fun of the Maryland angry Maryland quarterback hating God. <laughs> yeah, that's, that seems like it's that was it. great. That was a thing that predated me and it has continued. Not the two games this year praying it stays away. Well, I hope uh, so, too, for your sake. I, I it, you know, I'm well, always, I'm I'm always cheering now for I'm Maryland. Used to it. Now I'm used to it. So it's it's uh, it's not it's anything part of that your I DNA at this point. Well, now I could say, yeah, I saw a linebacker play a quarterback, and then we were down to our third-string quarterback by game three last year. Yeah. And so, I mean, like, the quarterback we had for a couple years was one no one really liked. And I thought C.J. Brown was all right. And then we had the wrestler, uh, Perry Hills. Every single single time he was mentioned on television. He also wrestled in high school. Did you know that? (laughs) Yes, I did, guys. I do know that. Uh, That was Maryland Maryland football. And it was basically, ooh— Stefan Diggs and Torrey Smith are fantastic. And then, you know, now we can say, oh, DJ Moore is fantastic. Well, Maryland's produced wide receivers. That's about all I can say. Yeah. And so that's Maryland football. And Maryland basketball, obviously, is, is still is a big deal. And everyone yells and screams at Mark Turgeon for his teams not being able to break down a zone. That's like a drinking game at this point. <laughs> well, listen, I, I wish you all the best. I know Michigan State doesn't get Maryland till late. We, why, do we, why does Michigan State always play Maryland late in the season? Uh, because they rotate the games because they couldn't put Penn State, Michigan State, and Maryland Rutgers as the last game of the season. They have to now rotate it in football. Right, right. So there are going to be some times when we'll play you 
sometimes when we play Penn State, sometimes when we'll play Rutgers, yeah. which really should be. I mean, the my one of my closest family members uh, went to Rutgers, so I have to talk about Rutgers athletics all the time. And I've been to a couple of games, Rutgers football. One of them, Michigan won 78 nothing. <laughs> the other was last year when Maryland lost to Rutgers. I've been to two Maryland-Rutgers games with said family member, and they lost both times. Oh, no. Awful. Well, the first time it, that it happened was, my, was, was the first year in the Big Ten, and I, I said some things I shouldn't have said around young, impressionable children. Well, I've things happened. Because Maryland had a big lead and gagged it. I was angry with that. Well, listen, they got to learn it. They got to learn at some point. Well, yeah, but I mean, you don't want to lose to Rutgers. Well, uh, no, certainly not. You haven't done that yet. No, I and Rutgers. When it does happen, it will be very bad. Oh God. Well, let's uh, let's you know, let's hope it doesn't happen happen this year. Hopefully. But I don't I mean, who knows? I, I'm not really sure what Michigan State football is right now. I was in Tempe to see them lose Arizona State a couple days ago. And I uh, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see uh, who they you are. Play this year. to win the game. You don't play to just play it. Yeah, it was I was I, I think I'm still recovering from heat exhaustion from the entire weekend. So I, I don't have a clear picture of exactly everything that happened. I it's a very strange thing. I've to be- been in Maryland games at 100 in humidity, and I've been to Maryland games when I've frozen to death. So it's you know, it, it's it's it is what it is. Uh, I it mean was, that's that's what happened. It was hot. It was hot. So uh, I, I can imagine. So in so in college, when you're doing all this, how much, if at all, are you thinking about your sexuality? A little. It happened every now and again. I wasn't the most social person, as anybody will tell you. I know I have a dislike for fraternities and the college parties because I always thought that I could use my time better, mainly sleeping. But like when I had the the, the free time, when my mind would wander, I'd think about it. And I did. I wrote it in the Outsport story. And then when when Robbie Rogers came out, that was a big deal. Sure, to me, it was Rob- a big deal because, oh, he's went to Maryland. This is a thing I can gloat about. Yeah. Maryland sports is terrible aside from this. And Maryland soccer is always good. And so that was a big deal. And so at that point, I started to go, all right, what, what's going on here? I knew I had feelings before, and they were just nebulous. You know, they were things that I had, but I thought eventually I'd grow out of them because everybody was curious. Yep. That's, the, that's the phrase that I used, and it was true. Like, like, it was all curiosity, and I was not sociable. So I had no game. I still have no game. <laughs> I always told people I had the game of a diseased cat. <laughs> well, that's not good. It was just... It's true, but eventually I owned it, and I said, well, I'd rather be like this. I, I care too much about my job fortunes at this point, and <laughs> it's true. But, you know, these things would happen, and you, you, I'd think about it. It would cross my mind every now and again when my mind would wander, and I'd be like, well, what's going on here? And then when you had more examples of people in sports, because that was my only inference into this world – because all my other world experiences were, you know, were sports or sports tangentially. So that was a thing where you'd think and you'd, you'd read it and you'd be go, okay, well, something here is similar to him, but I can't quite put my finger on it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know for a while. I had no, I had no like qualms with saying I didn't hate myself. It was more like, okay, I've got this. Well, what's going on here? And it, t- it took a while to figure out because we live in a black and white culture. And so being gay is something everybody can understand because it's all or nothing. 
bisexuality is not that. It's inherently gray. And now as we all come to expect and assume and understand that sexuality is a spectrum, people don't understand spectrums. You know, they can't understand that you could put two thoughts in your head at once. So a lot of it also is because, like, when you hear about these things, you don't hear people talk about being bisexual. It's not something that people talk about. You know, it's because I don't think many people at that point were willing to. And there's also biphobia in the, in the LGBT community, and it's sure. really bad. And it's bad. And my, my response to that is, y'all are being discriminated against just like we are. Why are you taking it out on us? It's such what? a strange thing. I mean, and it's I, it's it's a tale as old as time. And I and I'm guilty of this back when I was, you know, freshly out of the closet when I was like in college, like freshman sophomore year. I remember I, I remember saying to people back then, oh, I you know I don't think bisexuality is a thing because I that's what I used to tell myself, right? And so how could it be a thing? And so as an ignorant sort of 18, 19 year old, I remember thinking that. I remember feeling that way, and, and certainly don't feel that way anymore but it is such a strange thing that i think a lot of people do hold on to in a weird way especially in the lgbt community which is so unfortunate and in some ways and you can speak to this but i i i think coming out as bisexual uh is almost harder than coming out as gay or lesbian because i i think people are just confused i think people can can swallow the idea of, of, of something like you said, black or white. Okay, you're gay. Okay, you're a lesbian. I can get that. But coming out as bisexual, I think, is still confusing to some people. So, I mean, have you, how much of that have you run into just in your own life and then within sort of the LGBT community itself? Very little. And I'll say, firstly, to the LGBT community, I was very distant. I'll get to this in a, in a bit, too, because I think it's important to say that I was very distant from it all. As I said, like this, the, the phrase I wanted to put in the story, but I just ran out of words, was stranger in my own house. It was like, I know I'm a part of this community, but I don't feel like I'm a part of it because I don't really know anybody. And everything that's going on in this community just feels sorts of distant to me. Mm-hmm. But in terms of my own family, I, again, it's important to say that I come from a very accepting part of the world and a very accepting family. And they don't legitimately don't care. Like, I'm already weird enough as it is. <laughs> so it's like, okay, just throw another thing on the pile. Yeah, they're like, yeah, oh, that, it's, that, just, that's, just, that's it's right. just Matt. It's know. just another thing that happens here. Like, like, the thing that happens is, the worst that happened is I came out to one person and he was like, are you sure you're not gay? And I said, yes. Now, for most people, that would be something that would really deliriously affect them. It would hurt them. For me, I've got such a thick skin that I don't really care. And if somebody said that, I would probably say some form of you're wrong with some choice words, not necessarily saying you're an effing idiot, but in some way making a sarcastic remark about it. Sure. And I think that my story is different, and I I fully accept that now, and knowing how hard it is to deal with some of the discrimination and the language in this stuff, it doesn't affect me personally because I have a thick skin – these things just don't matter. If somebody said something about me, I'd probably go, yeah, you're right. Also, you know, that's just a slang term for a cigarette in Britain, by the way, in case you didn't know that. <laughs> yep. Or, or I'd be like, you know what? It's pretty good being like this. I get more choice than you do. Yeah. And also, I don't have to explain away my Pornhub search history. <laughs> as, you, as you will when you eventually get caught. So, like, that's, <laughs> that's the kind of person I am. So it helps me to have that defense mechanism. But even then, it's still like, 
it's just it gets more annoying than hurtful, just the the ignorance. But I, as I said, I think it's just that people don't understand yet yeah. that this is a spectrum. And and I was going through all sorts of different permutations in my head. Like, what, well, what do I like? It used to be, well, I only like guys this way, one way or another. And then it's like, well, I only like guys sexually. Not I would never get into a relationship with one. And I said that after a while, I'm like, uh, wait a minute. This isn't working. And it, th- that's when I said, okay, bisexuality makes sense. It's just split down the middle. Mm-hmm. And if the only question I ever amassed is, well, who are you going to date? I'm going to say, can I get a job first, please? And then we'll <laughs> ask that question later. And then I said, I have no idea. Something will happen. And we'll see what happens when that time comes. I'm not going to put a time frame on it. And I'm not going to put an answer to a question I don't have. Because that's what it was. Like, I, well, since I had no courage to go after girls, basically, could certainly no courage to go after guys. Obviously not. And not many people were out then in, in high school, more so in college. But even then, I didn't really go to any of those, you know, all those clubs. I didn't do that because yeah. it just, it, the, the part that I had that was most ignorant was thinking that being gay was a certain way of acting. You know exactly what I mean. And oh, everybody sure. Goes, and then I realized that time goes on, it's like, okay, that's not really what happens here. And, you know, that when people came out in sports, that helped a lot of that. I mean, I also knew because I just I knew because I was attracted to girls and tried to get with them and failed. And that wasn't like a coping mechanism. It was like, well, I also like guys on the side and I know that. But there's no outlet to express this because there's no outlet to express this. Yeah. Well, and I think for me, that's that's so much of why I I started this podcast is to sort of give outlets to people like yourself who, uh, yeah, maybe, you know, didn't see themselves in sort of mainstream gay culture growing up. And I think, you know, things have certainly changed over the past 10 years, oh, certainly five years. years. Since I was, since I started thinking about this, it moves light years. Yeah, it but really then again, has. I have to say, we basically started from less than zero and now we're moving to like 15 to 20. Yeah. You know, we're not, anywhere where we need to be yet and i think that the fact that i'm one of the few if i ever got a job in play-by-play which is what i want to do and what i'm trying to do and i'm not trying to come out to help my career and get you know make headlines that's not what i'm doing i'm doing it because it was goddamn time to do it yeah but like if i would be end up being the first out broadcaster of any sort of major sporting event that's because it's like we don't have many journalists. I mean, we have LZ Granderson, we have Israel Gutierrez, we have others, but we don't have a lot. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And no, I think for sure. it's still like it is. It's still like it was the same thing with women covering male sports, and it's now like with this. It's like we're not where we need to be yet, and it's still it's not as bad as it was, but there's still like the residual effects of all of these years of just the culture of sports was just inherently homophobic. And as I said, I don't think that comes out of hatred in many ways, though there are homophobes out there and we should make fun of them as vociferously (laughs) as we possibly can and then strap them down to a chair and make them watch Drag Race until their eyes explode like Clockwork Orange, (laughs) which is like my sick fantasy of watching people who are homophobes on Twitter. I'm like, oh, I'm going to strap you down to a chair and make you watch Drag Race, then your brain's going to explode. But they would love it. I mean, I can't imagine somebody, even the biggest homophobe in the world would, at the end of the day, enjoy Drag Race, whether they would... I mean, I don't don't personally watch that show and that's not because I dislike it. It's just, it's not for me. You know, how do you know? 
because I I could tell that kind of stuff. I don't really like reality shows. Okay, I don't, fair enough. It, it, it's it's not like the only one I really watched was Hell's Kitchen, and that was because I mean Gordon Ramsay swearing is fun as hell. I was going to say that's, the other that's shows, into your personality. Yeah, I mean, but. Like otherwise, I like I don't really watch that. Like mostly the shows I watch, I watch MythBusters, I watch Top Gear, I watch almost no sitcoms and stuff like that. Okay. And so like reality shows don't interest me really. You know what I mean? No, I like, get it. I, I like, get it. And, 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 and like, and, and part of it for me was also you know, Drag Race is kind of in your face and not subtle. And I'm a guy who kind of likes subtlety. And in my like. My, I always like to make a joke that goes over someone's head, and that's just a personality quirk that I have that has nothing to do with being anti-anything of that. It's just not something I'm interested in. Sure. But I completely support its existence, and if you like it, have fun. Please enjoy it. It's just not something I like. Fair and enough. I, and, like, I, and I always make sure to say, like, this is not a comment on anything other than I just don't like something. Yeah. Do not use it to inform on my personality or something to this effect. And also, as I said, like, I was so distant from everybody in the community for many, many years, even though I knew I was a part of it, that was also the part of the thing too. And it's, as I said, like that sort of stuff is just like, I don't watch Queer Eye either. It's just not something I'm interested in. Yeah. I've, it's I've, life. Yeah, it's life. I mean, we all have our, we all have our interests. But I, I think I that's part watched... of it is because like for sports, it's like no one really knew what to do with being LGBT in sports because it just seems so antithetical to each other. Well, right? and that's now why it doesn't seem like that. But like the other part of it is like, can you be this guy who has this completely not normal, but completely like, oh, I'm a sports fan. This is all what I like. And, you know, like the only out kid in my high school class was a theater kid because. Sure. Well, yes. But like and I and I said, well, I know I'm not like that. So, again, you're ignorant when you're 18. I thought I had all the answers and I clearly didn't. But, I mean, as I say, I, I, I didn't know. And now we know we know a lot more, and it's, it's okay. Like, that's part of it. It's like being gay or, or in the LGBT community or being queer in general is not that. That's what most people see. But a lot of that is because, well, when you've been oppressed for so long, you're going to fight back by doing the most out there thing possible to get back at people. That's really where I think all of this comes from. And it's so in your face because it's almost like we're expressing ourselves, but I also think it's a lot very, very subliminally of like, okay, we want to torture the people who tortured us. You know, that, that's how I think of it. And I think it's fine to, to have that mindset when you're in a press community and you want to fight back. And the LGBT community is certainly one of those things. But also, you know, when you look at it in sports, where there's obviously more, but, like, what's been the most earth-shattering coming-out story? Has it been Jason Collins? I mean, like, that's basically – I wouldn't say it, but, like, in sports, like, that's probably the biggest, right? Yeah, well like, – In terms of just, like, natural play, like, for me, Robbie Rogers was a huge deal and still is. Oh, Colin Rob Martin was a huge deal and it still is. You know, but that's like MLS is a sphere that doesn't really intersect with everything else. Yeah, that's you know what, what I was going to say. And I don't mean to slight the sport of soccer or Robbie at all. But I th and but, you know, I do think the fact that it was soccer prevented it from really, really, really crossing well, over into the soccer. mainstream. Well, maybe that has something to do with it. If he played at a World Cup, it would have been a much bigger deal. Sure. I, yeah, I, I agree. But, with that. but I also think it's because it's MLS 
Yeah. And I mean, you're reading stories about Hector Bellerin, who plays for Arsenal. And let me be clear here. I hate Arsenal. I think that club is terrible. I root for Tottenham. So I hate everything about Arsenal. But Hector Bellerin said some amazing things about getting homophobic chants thrown at him because he had long hair. And Uh I'm thinking this is where you have to delineate MLS from everything else, which is where MLS is an island of itself because it caters to a certain clientele, let's say. And I don't know how many people here watch MLS. It's a very distinct, like the hardcore fan culture is distinctly of a certain type. And when the biggest markets for MLS are, let's say, Portland and Seattle, (laughs) you kind of get an idea of what we're talking about. And so that's why I'm saying, like, it's a very much young and up and coming, somewhat gentrified inner city fandom that dominates MLS. The main topic of stories in MLS is where you're playing league stadiums, you got to build them in downtown. You got to build them so the people can walk there. That's the kind of clientele we're catering to. And that is a certain group of people that does not care about sexuality. So when it was Robbie Rogers, it didn't really matter. It was a story for about two weeks, and then it became not a story very much quickly after that. And with Colin Martin, who is somebody I have immense respect for, and I would love to sit down and write stories and be friends with him, because this story, it made a huge difference in me saying to myself, okay, now I'm going to come out publicly. Because if he could do it, then I certainly could do it. But it's like it was a big deal for like a week and then it became not a story anymore. But, like, maybe, but maybe, you know, but that maybe that's not the worst thing in the world. Right. I mean, no, he, no, 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 no. And I also think that MLS has that advantage of where it's not a story. And I've been talking with a friend of my Brock McGillis, who is somebody who you absolutely should get on this show. OK, because he's uh, if you haven't heard about him and he's somebody I'm going to be doing a podcast with soon, I hope he's the only former male professional hockey player that is out in any capacity and does speaking engagements with all sorts of teams and the high schools around Canada to talk about LGBT issues in hockey, which is probably the most homophobic sport there is. It's, Bar it, you know, it, yeah, I, I, I think I agree with that, unfortunately. And it is absolutely true. And I love the sport to death, but it has so many problems and that's one of them. Uh, and I was talking with him about Colin Martin because of how like much that meant to me as a huge soccer fan. And it's like, I was thinking like, what would it be like if somebody in the NHL came out? And I thought to myself, okay. And he was like, and he was saying, oh, it's going to be a big story for a really long time. And it would be particularly in Canada. And you think of Canada as a really accepting culture and it is, but hockey is something different. And it's vestiges of the past that are really, really hard to get rid of. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that is, something that I talked about with him. And that's where I realized, okay, MLS is very different and MLS is unique in that way. And like, and Colin Martin, no offense to him, is a, is a squad player for Minnesota United and Minnesota United is not very good right now. And so, it, I mean, again, it's a huge story and it meant a lot to me. And I know it means a lot to LGBT fans in soccer and MLS. And MLS is a league that has done a lot of things wrong, but that's one of the things they've done right is because if you can have two players who are going to play while out in your league where nobody else has had more than one, then you've done something right. Yeah, yes? it's huge. And I think that, again, maybe it affects me more, but there are other stories that, again, have to be told. And that's why, you know, it would, it, it would, like Michael Sam was such a big deal because no one had dealt with it before and no one knew how to deal with it. Right. And so when you watch that play out, now looking on it in the past... It's like it was just a situation that no one could deal with. And this was, you know, and and, and Michael Sam, I think, let's be honest, he did something incredibly brave and I admire him forever. But all that went on with the ancillary stuff with that 
was not dealt with very well. And that's not being LGBT. That's just trying to deal with being out and going through the draft process, having this immense speculation put on your head. Right. And I also don't think that most people who are covering sports know how to deal with LGBT issues. No. That's why we need more of them in sports media. Well, that's yeah, that's exactly that's, right. That's part of it. And so, like, we didn't really know. And, and, and maybe I was guilty of this, too. And I can't really remember what I was thinking at that time when it came to that story. And so we still don't really know. we don't know yet, but we're getting better, I think. We know a little bit more than we did. I almost but. feel. I, I think if I think if the Michael Sam thing were to play out this year, even just a, you know a few years removed, I think it would be covered drastically differently. Even, yeah, it would be a lot different. Just a few years later, it would be different because I think we just all have more knowledge now as a as how to cover such an event. Mm-hmm. And again, because it was the NFL, it was a big deal. And so when you think about that and you think about the story it would become, I always try to think to myself, okay, it's going to be a story for a week when someone comes out and then it's not going to be a story anymore. And then I keep thinking, well, maybe it's like that in MLS, but that's just my universe, right? Right. And then I'm thinking if it was in another sport, okay, it'd be a much bigger deal for longer. And I think that for some people, they don't want to deal with that. And there is definitely that. There was also, I think, like the first person to do it the courage it would take to be the first is really, really hard, Absolutely. which is why what Robbie Rogers did was so amazing because he was the first really to do it. And like now everyone after us in soccer or any other sports is following what he did. Right. And yeah. it just every one of the times you come out, the whole the story goes in the LGBT community, you come out not most much for yourself, but to make it easier for the people after you to do so. Yeah. And, and that's I've, really I've, what we see. Certainly it's helped me immensely, but you hope that it just gets easier as time goes on. But there's still so much you have to fight back against in sports, and it's going to take time to do it. And there are different ways you could do it. You could do it in my way, which is to break down the door and to be very loud and vociferous and make jokes about it, you know, and, <laughs> and, 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 and kind of, do, or you could just sort of slow play it. And I think that you don't know. And as I say, like my personality type is such that I'm unique and I know that I'm not like everybody else. And so that's something that, I mean, maybe like, I keep thinking like the, the first major athlete to come out is going to be someone like me is going to be somebody who just doesn't care yeah. and just does not really give two Fs about what people think about him. They're going to be like, if you like me, great. If you don't, well, you didn't like me anyway. Yeah, and I think it's going to take that sort of personality. And and we've and I've talked to people on this podcast already about this similar issue, but you know, the, the person it's going to be, that it's going to take to be the first, I think you're exactly right. And then I think you hope that the, the floodgates open because what you're saying to be the first person to have to shoulder all of that attention, you know, week. Well, I'm saying week in week out if it's football, but on the road, everywhere you go, people just asking you questions, fans giving you hell, like whatever it's going to take. There's going to be so much. And whoever now, I don't think necessarily the homophobic chanting is a thing that really happens too often. I mean, it does. Trust I, me. Well, hockey, no, not even has. not even that. Like, I, I don't. I, I hope that that wouldn't be an issue. I mean, obviously, there are going to be people who take offense to to it, but. I just think there's going to be so much attention and there's going to be so much focused on off the field stuff when 
all anybody wants to focus is what they're doing on the field. I think it's going to take... You have to have somebody who kind of wants to be in that spotlight and talk about it. Yes, exactly. You know, like after, after I pushed... After I told Sid I wanted to do this on my birthday, and when he... When Outsports posted it, I did a quote tweet and then didn't look at Twitter for six hours. <laughs> didn't look at social media for six hours. I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to relax and watch funny videos on the internet. Uh-huh. And then, I mean, like, again, I'm not talking like I like Colin Martin's story was one that I'm going to reference a lot because it's a big deal to me. And that had, what, 100,000 likes on Twitter or something like that? Yeah. And the post, which is pinned in my Twitter profile, had 36. <laughs> you know, so the scale here is different. But it was still a big deal, right? Yeah. Because my Twitter mentions did blow up, I mean, for somebody who had 750-something followers, as opposed to professional athlete. I mean, the scale's different, but, you know, like, that's the sort of thing. Like, that's a lot of attention to go to somebody. Mm -hmm. And you have to be willing to sort of deal with it. And again, in MLS, it's different because MLS is not a league that garners a ton of coverage except for those in the bubble, you know? If it's the NFL, it's a much bigger deal. Now, the only reason why I say it might not be is because there are a bunch of out players in college football, some of them playing from D1 schools, and you barely notice it. Mm-hmm. But like, that's the, like, I don't know whether that's because there's so much college football going on or maybe because said gay players are not on Alabama. Maybe it would have <laughs> been a bigger deal there. But it's like it's, like, it's Kansas State and Arizona or the, or the it, 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 Air Force now. Mm-hmm. And again, we're not talking powerhouses, but you know that's D1 – well, two cases, F, uh, two cases, Power Five, and the other case, you know, Mountain West. Yeah, it's still a big but, deal. Like, even then, it's like it is a big deal, but you don't hear about it. Yeah, it's like we know because we care, but otherwise, it's like they just they don't really make a ripple. Like if you watch the broadcasts, I don't think it's ever mentioned. And maybe that's for the like I I, I just struggle as a broadcaster to find out like do I mention this? Uh huh. And, yeah, I, and I, I mean I that's an interesting myself, question, especially as an out broadcaster. Do I mention this? And I say maybe if the circumstances were right, but mostly it's like if I'm if I'm talking about if I'm calling an Arizona game for instance, and I'm talking about Mike King Johnson, do I mention it? Right. Like part of me's like, well, it's in the background. Maybe it's one of those nuggets you throw out during a, a play if you can. And but like like that for me is not something like I don't know the answer to that. If I was broadcasting a Minnesota United game, I wouldn't say, oh, Carl Martin came out as gay. I would assume that everybody who's watching already knows that. Right. You know, like that seemed like it different because that's obvious. But, you know, for, for some of these instances, would you mention it? Like, I don't remember Jason Collins. I don't remember if anybody mentioned it. I think at that point it was implied because the story was fresh. And that's a story. And that's like something that I have to think about as a broadcaster. Like, how much do we mention it? Do you highlight it? And that is really, yeah, that is I really don't interesting. I don't know the answer to that yet. Yeah, I don't either. I'm, I, I, uh, I'm inclined to say no. You know, I, I, I'm inclined I, to say no too because I think part of what we just want to be as a community is like we want to live our life in peace. You know, who we sleep with is really none of your business. We don't really care about your lives in your bedroom. You know, we shouldn't mention it. Like, is it relevant to the story? Maybe. Right. Like, could it be? Yeah, but it's like it would be like. It doesn't fall under the same status as me saying when I go out to call a college soccer game, well, oh, his or her father played soccer at some college you've never heard of. Like, does it fall under that or does it fall under a bigger story that needs to be fleshed out? Right. I don't know. And I don't know whether a play-by-play of a game is the appropriate vehicle. A sit-down feature in written or in video form? Certainly. But that's something that I think about in my line of work and what I want to do. And obviously, I mean, as I say, like now, 
I've always said to people, like, I want to help people come out and write those coming out stories because I think it's important that you have the ability for somebody who has done it and gone through it to say, I don't just sympathize, I empathize. And empathy is something that I don't think many people have. Because when you've seen, like, for some of these people, when you read all of the coming out stories, it doesn't matter who it is, you'd see, like, they didn't have anybody to come and talk to about this sort of thing, like, right. just, like, privately. Like, Sid Ziegler's obviously one of them, and I, I'm thankful to him for letting me do what I did. But there aren't a ton. And, you know, like, you want somebody to be able to talk to to say, okay, what am I going through here? And no, specifically, not just coming out, but coming out in sports. And I think that that's something we don't have a lot of yet. And like, like, and if you do, it's like, well, how accessible are these people? Can I talk to them when I need it? Can I be a resource for me? That's what I would try to be and what I want to be yeah. for people, especially not just on the field, but if you're in media and you're broadcasting, because there are not enough of them yet. And I think that that for me was one of the reasons why, since I know that coming out as a broadcaster, like there are out broadcasters, but they're not on a major level. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, so I didn't know about them. You know, like, I, I referenced this, too. There's an Aust Australian broadcaster, another podcast guest you should get on. I don't know if you've heard about the story. His name is Corbin Middlemoss, who does some Australian radio for all these things. And he came out, and this was like a week before I knew my story was getting published. And I just, you read that, and I'm like, if it can happen in Australia, can it happen here? Right. Like, I, I don't really know what the difference is. And, like, and you read what he says, and it, and it says all the things that I think most people in sports are going to say. You have this exterior that makes you think of one thing and then you realize, oh, wait, well, you can be those two things at once. You know, you could be this guy who if no one knew you were LGBT, then they wouldn't know, you know, like that's the other thing that I think like as a community, we have to accept that not everybody is going to be a certain way and we have to get out of that pigeonhole mindset, you know, where you where you could be like just a dude that likes sports, that wants to talk about sports and enjoys it, and also, oh, you're queer on the side. Okay. You know, like, that's something that I don't think has happened a lot yet in the community. And, and I hope that it, it, like, that's the other thing that would hurt me when I was young. did not hurt, but disinform me when I was younger, because the people who were gay were out, but were really, really Really, you know what I'm talking about, right? Sure. Like, it's, I, 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 I don't it's... want to describe it in bad terms. I don't like, like, and that's not bad, but it's like, it's not an example of who everyone is. And that's why I'm saying like more people like myself or anybody who could go in and say, you know, well, we're the, like every other dude, except we like guys, you know, like that's kind of a thing like you we need more people like that you know yeah, i mean I, I i think any sort of representation is great but what what you're saying i think is is something that prevents a lot of people from coming out because they feel or like accepting if they, their sexuality in the first place because well like, sure and i don't think it's because it's great representation like you know here there's this openly gay character in a disney movie well what what is he just like and, and you look at the character like come on really yeah. That's what we're doing here. <laughs> Being gay is not a character. It's a it's something that happens, but it's not like that's what I'm talking about. Yeah, right? I, I just think it's like, a, like I, it's it's the it's the stuff with Will and Grace. It's the stuff with those kind of shows that it's like, well, that's not your character. You know, that doesn't define who you are as a personality, and that's something that I really think just kind of hurts 
in a way, this community. And it hurts people who are not that kind of person. And when, if you are, I'm not saying that's bad. Go out and be yourself, please. And annoy as many people as you possibly can who hate it. But you need to, and I say like, that's why we need that sort of representation. And it's like, why when the SEC, Leighton Foster comes out, it's an SEC football player. It's a big deal because again, you wouldn't necessarily expect that, right? Yeah. You need you need like that's why those stories meant a lot to me, not just because it was somebody who I felt, all right, they're like me. They don't they're not the stereotypical what you see in pop culture of the LGBT community. And they're not even, you know, what you see often heightened in the community, which is sometimes some of the things that are not indicative of everybody. You know, like that was a big deal. And you hear them talk and you hear and you look at you see, look at their personalities and you see what they say and it's like for me, that was a big deal because it's like, okay, here are people who are contemporaneous to me in age and experiences that I can relate to. And even if they're gay and I'm bisexual, it's still basically 99% the same. And so these stories, they meant a lot. And that's why I'm saying like you need more and we don't have a ton of them yet. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, I mean, I always say... I would say there's many different types of gay people as there are different types of straight people, right? And you gotta it's important to tell all of those stories. And I think that I think that we're doing a much better job of doing that. You know, as we said, things have, have changed so much and there's still such a long way to go. But I think, you know, people like you telling your story just, you know, add add something else to, to the spectrum and I think give somebody people to look at. You know, and 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 certainly coming out as bisexual, I think is is even more unique and even more cool that, you know, other bisexual kids who like sports, even who don't, can look at you and say, hey, there's somebody that I sort of see myself in. You know, I think that's that's such a huge thing that more people, I think, hopefully, are feeling empowered to do. Well, I think that it's also just, it comes to the community to say, if somebody says they're bisexual, they're not going to be gay. They're not still trying to figure things out. It's a legitimate sexual orientation. Yeah, and that's, please that's don't say thing. otherwise. And please don't say otherwise. And if, like, let's say if I have a girlfriend and I brought her to a pride parade, would I not get heckled by people for that? And I'm like, I'm bisexual. I can prove it to you. <laughs> I have a search history on the internet. I can prove this. Do the words Sean Cody mean anything to you? If they do, <laughs> then you can't fight me on this. But, and again, maybe, that, maybe that's not a reference for other sorts of podcasts, but it certainly is for one here. Yeah. Anyway. The point is, like, if I did that, would I be treated the same way? Because I could see myself going to a pride parade with a girlfriend one day. And I hope that it's a community that understands, well, not only is bisexual is a definition, right? But somebody who says, I'm just queer. I don't really know what that means, but I might like everybody or pansexual or anything. It comes with all these different kinds of orientations and ways to approach gender and ways to approach sexuality that we're now just starting to understand. And we're on the forefront of it. And society's not very close to us. You know, like they are starting to understand, okay, what does it mean to be gay? What does it mean to be lesbian? But we're still seeing it with these other sexualities and particularly with, with the trans community. And they're treated absolutely by disgusting ways by people who have no idea what they're dealing with. And it is absolutely ridiculous. And again, it's because I think people can't put two thoughts in their head. They can't think, well, you know, mm -hmm. maybe I am different and it's okay to feel that way. You don't have to be put into these boxes that were predetermined by people long ago. 
and they just want to continue because they feel safe. We're not the ones who feel insecure. I've always say that it's the others who are insecure and they're projecting their insecurities out on us. You know, we know who we are and we've embraced it. And it's harder sometimes to embrace it because you're not taught it from a young age and everything here is taught. It is not innate, it is taught. I'm telling you people, your, your sexuality is innate. Like what that is, that's, I think it's firmly entrenched in whatever sorts of DNA, whatever sorts of gene coding it is. Because as people, like you read the story of, of Colin Martin, he said he knew he was gay in elementary school. And you would think like naturally, like your brain says, well, how do you know that? And then you realize, well, it doesn't really matter how you know it, you know it. You know, right? right? Like that's something we also have to come to understand. It's not a choice. No one would choose to do this if they could, you know. And I and I thought, like, I didn't know think it was a choice. I just thought it was something eventually I'd grow out of because curiosity eventually goes away. But eventually curiosity became hardened in me. It became something that it was actually like it was a legitimate like. You know? Yeah. And so like that, like that's something that I think we have to sort of get behind, not just in the community, but in general, like we have to be able to teach people that this is okay and this exists and it should be embraced like everything else. And it's, and by that, I mean, hatred of sexual orientation or differences and all that is taught. It is not innate. The, the sexuality itself might be innate and might, it certainly is genetic, but it is not the hatred of that and the interpretation of that is taught. And so it comes with teaching. It comes with exposing kids to more, well, uh, you know, I'm trying to find the words to say here, but it comes to exposing people to sexualities. And I, and I would watching, you know, Dan Reynolds is the lead singer of Imagine Dragons, who was yeah. talking about that. When do you teach this to your kids? And you say, and it's like when you're two. And I said, like, I don't even know when. I, it would just be something I said, this exists, and you support it like you support anything else. Yeah. But we don't know. And that's like something like, again, hatred's taught. You know, it's not innate. You know, it doesn't come from something genetic. It comes from something you are taught. And I, I also think that hatred and ignorance are two different things. Hatred is something you can't necessarily get rid of. And hatred is something that I think as, the, as a community, you can't bother with those people. They exist and you have to make fun of them and pity their lives and make fun of their Pornhub search histories. And, <laughs> and those are people you can't rake with and you make fun of them consistently and you make jokes at other expenses. As I like to say, if they go low, I'll go lower. You go for, you go for the head, I'll sweep the knees. But when it comes to people who I just think are ignorant, and I'm not saying that ignorant is a bad thing. In this case, I'm using it as a neutral term. Ignorance is like you don't know any better because it's just something that you weren't taught otherwise. And that's the big thing in hockey. Hockey culture and a lot of sports cultures is genuinely the way it is because it was taught and maybe it started from a place of homophobia, but it continues because people don't know otherwise, right? Right. And that's always what I say. It's like, you can teach it out of people. You can tell people, do not say homophobic slurs. You could say, you know, if we're good, and my opinion on that is if you're gonna make a joke, make a funny joke, please, that's not funny. And that's not getting me off my game. That's more like me saying, you've really run out of jokes this fast? Well, all right, all right, what can I make fun of here? Well, I can make fun of this, that, this, that, and the other thing, right? Yeah. Again, that's my personality, and I, and I admit that that is not a personality that others have. But that's why I say, like, that's what Brock McGillis is doing, and you should certainly talk to him about erasing that language and yeah. erasing some of these things 
that have existed. And it's not because people are inherently homophobic. It's because there is ignorance that has been passed down in culture that has not been pointed at. Like it was the whole thing with things that have happened in the past that we've just grown out of. We learned, we evolve as a society, we evolve as a species. That is who we are, that is all that we have. And we have evolved tremendously as a species when it comes to learning about these issues and being cognizant of it, but we still have a long way to go. And I don't think most people are homophobic inherently. They just don't know any better and they haven't been told, okay, here's what you should do. Yeah. Here's what you should think about. You know, and that's where it comes in. The homophobes you can't reason with. You make fun of them. You annoy them constantly. But the others, you just you have to you have to sometimes you have to teach and you have to say, okay, how can you best be an ally? And allies are very important. When I say when coming out is really important to have allies, I, I think it's more important necessarily to have empathetic figures in your life that helps you. But when you're out and you want to help other people feel more comfortable with who they are. We need allies, and that comes with well-minding, you know, the silent majority, to use a term, or, you know, just the average person who doesn't care either way, but doesn't know how to deal with this because they've never dealt with it in a personal capacity. Yeah. Like, here's, like, that's the thing. It's like, if you live in a box, you won't be able to deal with situations that come outside of your box, right? And that's, I think, a lot of people, they just don't know. Well, what would I, you would ask them like, do you know anybody in the community? You'd probably say no. And that's why it is like, it affects people differently once you know them and once you've experienced it, right? And that's why I'm saying like, while it's very hard to come out and everybody who does it shows immense courage, it helps when you do it because not only does it make it easier for people after you to come out, particularly in the field that we're in, but it makes it easier for other people to say, okay, I know this person and my opinions and my thoughts may have changed. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, it's, it's, just it about, from, it's just about conversations, you know? I think it's, it comes from a place of where people just don't have the experience. They just don't know how to deal with it. And that's why I'm saying, like, Michael Sam kind of was used in sort of a – not a, a guinea pig way, but his his story was told in ways that we wouldn't tell it now because most people just didn't know how to deal with this. Well, right? and, and, and so I kind of know more. I felt so many times that straight people, straight family members in my life have sort of been so relieved to be able to talk about it with somebody because they've never been able to. They've never had another gay person in their life to sort of answer questions or to sort of relate to. So it just becomes about having somebody to look to. Because I think so many people we forget, especially in certain parts of the world and certain parts of the country specifically, you know, talking about us here, uh, have just never been exposed to it. And it's just, it's about having somebody that people can look to, right? It's uh, having a friend, having a family member that makes it accessible and makes it real that can change minds i think so quickly so that's why i think it's so important for everybody to to come out on their own time it's i don't think there's any any point in rushing anybody but you know it's it's so important to come out because i think one person coming out can change so many minds at at one time and i'm gonna reference colin martin again because this is the interesting part of the story here and and you would read what he says about talking with his teammates and so many of them have never known anybody personally. Yeah, And it's how wild. it changes opinions almost overnight. Yeah. And it's like, 
and, and it's like that's again different community different sample size but like that's the thing it's like most people just don't know they're not ignorant they're not ignorant because they want to be they're ignorant because they don't know any better right and that helps and i think that that's where all of these stories come in it comes in with so many people and it also comes in with being bisexual because most people with it when it was black and white you know and this was the community too they just didn't know okay well here's how we deal with this and we're learning now as a culture and what's happening is some of us are fighting back and saying, okay, you can't treat people like this now just because of something they can't control. And that has a lot to do with, with, with gender now as opposed to sexuality, but we're not past it yet, obviously. And it comes in with just people telling their stories of being okay with that and saying, like, you have to be proud of yourself and you have to be willing as somebody in this community, as somebody, especially in a public setting, and I'm not exactly saying I'm a public figure, but I mean, I'm more of a public figure than say the average person, you know, just average, average Joe on the street who might be like me, you know, like if I'm in a position where I can, I have, and we like, we have to admit, like, we're going to have to talk about this. You know, we have to tell our stories because it it, it means that other people can come in and say, okay, we've learned, we understand a little bit more about what's going on here. And it, it comes in and it's like, I needed, I needed that, you know, I needed people who were more like me and I needed people who were more in my world, you know, it's like, okay, there are people that were out as, as gay and bisexual before me, but they weren't in my world. And I was a little bit too narrow minded and I still pretty much am sports is my life and sports is my focus. But you know, they didn't, I didn't relate to it in the same way. You know what I mean? Sure. Like if some famous actor came out, I'd be like, congratulations, this is great for you. But I felt distant from it. You know what I mean? Like, that's why I'm saying, like, when I, my whole story was basically saying, here is how I read these stories and here's how it affected me. And it does, because people in sports, you need to be able to say, I've seen this, I've been there, and I know. And that's why, I mean, that's why I said, it was Connor Mertens who I've had the chance to talk to a lot, and mm-hmm. that was a big deal. This is the first person I actually saw and remembered coming out as bisexual. I'm like, okay, maybe this is something that I need to think about here. Or maybe it's somebody, maybe it's like Landon Foster, who is an SEC football player, and that's a big deal, too. Shout and you can Landon. say, like, oh, yes, I've, I've been obsessed with these stories for more reasons than just one. <laughs> um, sorry. Sorry. Landon sorry, was everybody. on the podcast, and I love Landon. I know, much. I know. I listened to that. I listened to that. Landon's the that's best. That's how I got to connect with you, of course. But... You know, these are how these these stories come in. Oh, Landon, by the way, can you follow me on Twitter already? For Christ's sake, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. If you could, <laughs> I you really, follow me on honestly, if if this podcast accomplishes nothing else, I just hope it's a way for all of my guests to follow each other and to become yeah. friends. Yes, I hope that's the case. We should. We'll yes. do some it, same it, it team the, meetup also, or something. I, and where I, we all and get I, together. Yes, I do that. I, I do that, yes, because I because we all have crushes, and how could you not have a crush on people who have had courage like that and have had you know experiences like you? That's just how it is, right? Sure, absolutely. But and then it's like, and, and then you wouldn't like like I want to talk to these people more. I want to like know them more personally. Well, and that's, be, uh, that's, and my, I, that's my biggest thing is like it comes from a place of being so distant for so long, and now I see these people that I really admire and I really empathize with, and you're like, I want to talk to you. I want to be friends with you. And you know, like, okay, maybe some of what came came from a different place, so to speak. <laughs> but you know, I mean, like that's that's what it is. It's it's not to say that, you know. 
you got to kind of stick together and not everybody's going to share your story. And that's why I'm saying like the people in sports are, are really important when it comes to that. Like, that's why I say, like, I want to talk to these people. And that's why, like, those stories were were so big and why it became so important for so many people to say, OK, now I can see these people who felt the community. I told that when I was talking with Sid and Connor when I was writing the story, I said, I felt really distant. I didn't know anybody personally until these stories came out. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And, like I needed these people to kind of just say, okay, at least there's somebody out there who I, I kind of remember. And you know, you would have to listen to them talk and have like interviews, right? And you would say, you know, here is what is going on with people being like me, people understanding where you come from. And then just being able to portray that to other people, if not as much for my own benefit, but for the benefit of others just going, OK, I can I can do this and I don't have to worry about being in not in fear, but being alone. And I'm like, I don't care about being alone. Again, I kind of have a individualistic personality. And if I'm alone, whatever, I'll find things to do. I'll watch a red letter media video on the Internet and laugh at that. But for others, they need that. Well, they're funny. Lots of funny videos on the internet that I enjoy. But, you know, it also comes from a pace of being able to know yourself and be confident with yourself. And if that's anything that people have said about me a lot is being able to say that I knew who I was and I embraced it. Like so many people go through so much trauma because they are told they can't be something or they want to be something they can't be. And they don't have the facility to embrace who they are. And that includes your sexuality, of course. But it comes from personality, too. And I was bullied when I was younger because I had social issues. I was not the most personable kid. I acted certainly a way that was above, not my pay grade, but above the level of others who I was dealing with. I was always told I, was, I dealt with adults better than I dealt with kids. Yeah, you know? me too. And so like that, then as I got older, the bullying just became more and more like it didn't matter. And then I became a sarcastic jerk. And that was sarcasm will get you a long way. It trust me, it's it's my specialty. Yeah, that in that in that in very bad impressions of Bill Clinton and Jerry Seinfeld. Wait, anyway, hold on a second. If I'm not you, doing them now. If you think you can't just bring that up and then not be expected to do them. What's the deal with airline food? I'm sorry. My voice cracked a lot there, but <laughs> I, I could do better. Was that Seinfeld I, or Clinton? <laughs> Uh, you tell me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Where's the saxophone? Uh, anyway. Where's the so that was Seinfeld. Uh, well, well, those Bill, Bill Clinton played the saxophone a lot. Have you? Did you watch I Animaniacs I was, when you were was, a kid? That was my sarcasm. I can do it too. Oh, okay. Well, oh, I, okay. I mean, like, hey, everybody realized Bill Clinton played the saxophone when it was in Animaniacs. So there you go. There you but, go. Well, great show. Can't but that's wait the thing. Time. I mean, what what you're saying is so true, and it, it it speaks to just everybody telling their story, right? And that's why your your out sports piece is so important, and that's why people need to be encouraged to keep doing the same thing because you know if it changes one mind, if it changes a million, it it it, it doesn't really matter. It's it's just about well, 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 getting it out there. You also saw it. You also see it when everybody. Now it's in vogue to do it on Twitter. And when you see these posts and you see all the responses from people, whether it's Landon, whether it's Colin, whether it's anybody, and you just see all the and you see the support and you and you think most of your life, Twitter is a cesspool filled with horrible, hateful people and Russian bots. And that's mostly <laughs> and that's true. why we love it. Uh, and that's why we love it. It's Stockholm syndrome. Yeah. No, uh, it, it, but when you see like the support from people and again, like. To use Landon's story as an example, that's Kentucky, not exactly the most friendly.
friendly place in the world for the community. And sure. he talked about that repeatedly, right? Yeah. Like, and you'd see the posts from people who are Kentucky fans, and you'd go like, wow. It does mean a lot to me. You know what I mean? It's huge. And it, it's just like, if you could see it from those kinds of people, it's just like they never had the experiences or way to say, yes, of course, we support you. Right? Yeah. And that, and that helps in so many different ways. And the stories are well-meaning. And that's why I also think it's not just important to tell your story, but as, as somebody who comes out, especially in sports, you are going to be expected to do a lot of talking about the community and about the condition of the community because you are visible, right? Yep. Like, again, just some average gay person on the street is not going to have to do that. They will to their family and their friends. But if you are an athlete that comes out, Adam Rapon, for example, or Gus Kenworthy or anybody like this, you are expected, because this is how it works, unfortunately, to not be a, just a standard bearer for the community, but to talk about it and to talk about these issues, right? And you have to be willing to embrace it. And I think a lot of those who have come out have. Some people don't necessarily want to, and that's life. You can't necessarily force them to. But that could also be why some people don't want to come out is because they just don't Absolutely. want to have to be that standard bearer and they don't want to have to talk on condition of everybody as opposed to just me. And that's why I prefaced a lot of what I've said in this discussion tonight is all about I'm unique in my story because I have a personality that makes it so I can deal with these things in a way that most people can't. Mm -hmm. But I know that's not everybody's story and I know that's not the condition for everybody and it's going to take a lot more, and I think that the fact that we've had more people telling their stories has really helped. And, of course, it makes lives a lot better for those who are coming out after us. And I hope that somebody listens to this and says, you know, there's a lot going on here that it's complicated, but that's life. And life is complicated. Sexuality is complicated. It's not black or white. And you're going to figure out your answers as time goes on. And your answer might be different to mine or yours or anybody's. And you just have to have the answers that as long as you find them and you're comfortable with them, don't worry about what anybody else thinks. If they dislike you because of your sexuality, then they're a piece of garbage to begin with. Amen. And I mean, like, I mean, like, that's what, like, I don't think most people have the ability to say that. You know what I mean? Like, most people don't have the, the, the not the courage, but the gall to say, like, what I've said. You know, and, and, and people might dislike me for it, but I don't really care because you probably would have not liked me anyway. But <laughs> like that's again, it's a personality trait that I have that I'm I've embraced and I love being who I am in that way. Yeah. But with others, it comes in in a place where you might not be able to deal with that in the same sort of way. Like, like I'm referring to the Hector Bellarine story, right? Uh-huh. And he's talking about like, I don't know how anybody could be gay in the Premier League when you hear some of this stuff. And I said, like, y you could be, you would just have to have some of the thickest skin imaginable. And not everybody does. And that's why we talked about when someone comes out, you have to have in many ways a thick skin. But the, but the trailblazers are always those who are ahead of their time and always those who are just a little bit different than anybody else. And I don't consider myself a trailblazer in any way because I'm not really that important in the grand scheme of things. I mean, not at least. I mean, again, if I'm calling a Super Bowl, maybe that's different. And I'd love to do that one day, of course. And I'd one set day. my career goals to do something like that, of course. But for now, I'm just this guy who has some platform to tell a story. And it is my story, and I have embraced it. You know what I mean? If you can tell your story, 
then you want to be able to inform others of what that could mean, right? And now, if you come to the conclusion that, you know, you have to tell your story if you're gay because you're going to have to come out at some point or, or queer or whatever it might be, right? It, it just normally happens that way. But the, so there are going to be some out there who embrace it and do more with it than ever before. And I think that those are the kinds of people, and there are so many of them, as we said, and to be willing to talk about it, be willing to embrace it. If you can do that and you can be confident in yourself enough to do that, then there is no telling how good it's going to make lives for those who aren't. And not everybody has that sort of self-confidence to do that. Yeah. And if you, if you can take anything away from what I'm saying, other than that I'm a bit sarcastic and I make jokes at everybody's expense, beyond that, it's if you have something that you find that it's different, it's okay to be different. If your story's different, that's okay. You know, if you're a little bit different personality-wise, then it's fine. It doesn't mean you're weird. It doesn't mean you should be talked about differently. It means that the human experience is very different for all sorts of people. And and you hear about it all the time. And that's like I, I, I've heard like some like people would say that these were like homophobic slurs. And you'd be like, well, wait a minute, what does that even mean? You know, and I'd be like, what, what does what does that mean? Why would you say that? Like my my again, like I always talk about the fantasy of strapping people to a chair and making them watch Drag Race until their eyes explode. But like that's just the thing that I might say, and other people just they might not be able to deal necessarily with the the weight of having to explain it just to their family, right? Because not everybody can go. Like the only person I knew in my family or immediate area who was who was gay was my cousin's father who was the second first husband of my uncle now i hope i explained that right i think my I got aunt's it. first aunt's first husband okay got it right aunt's first husband that's all i knew and there are other things in that story which i don't need to get into that prevented me from knowing somebody like that but that's all i knew personally and the only one who was even remotely close to me in that sort of in that sort of story right you know, so it, it makes it harder, even if it's somebody who you've never met before and you might never meet, you know, you need to be able to have those examples where you can say, all right, I look at this person like somebody who I connect with in my life. And that's why even when I was already, I was already out to people, but why when, when you, when I read Landon Foster's story, I said, okay. Gonna push a little bit closer doing, and when I read Colin Martin's story, I said, "Okay, now is the time. You need to do this." Mm -hmm. And it's like you have that visibility, and it's important to have it. It's important to have it for people I think who are different in the community, like because as I said before, like there's a certain stereotype of what it means to be a gay male, right? And that's not filled by everybody. And being different sexually does not mean you fulfill that stereotype, right? Sure. And that's what you need. And that's why you have these stories with people and it, and it changes their opinions. And that's why, I mean, I've said the same thing over and over again, but it's important to repeat that, you know, because when you, when you look at the future, like I, I think, I, I don't know how old you are and I'm not going to guess, but well, if I, you had to guess, I, I know when you, I remember listening to another podcast when you said you went to Michigan state, so I have an informed guess. Okay. So it's okay. 
It's a so that's why I'm not going to do it. But okay, thank you. You're not much. You're not much older than me. I'm a so young man. It. We're all young at heart until we aren't. Yeah. Unless you're me when you're a 40 year old at a 10 year old body. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. Well, that I've always been old at heart, but young in stature or something yeah, that's sure. gonna be taken very poorly. But when I say that, it's like you look at all these people now who need that sort of reference point and say like the generation after us, mine personally, more people are identifying as some sort of not straight sexuality or even not binary gender than ever before. Yeah. And it's just because they, they have grown up in a time where they, most of their heroes, like you can watch on the internet. Who are some of the most watched people on YouTube? Gay couples, right? <laughs> You get yeah. fan culture of gay couples because the kids don't give a crap. Yeah, it's, right? it's wild. Like, that's that's something I realized. Like, right? Like, you could go out and see, like, holy crap, these videos get 2 million views. They're getting as much as the crazy straight couples do. And you get the fan culture from 14-year-old girls, and they just don't give a crap. I know. Like, like, like that's what I'm saying. Like, eventually that comes into play, but it's obviously not something that happens overnight. But right, isn't that like something we want to see? Absolutely. And, and you and, and like that that was the moment where I'm like, okay, these, these gay couples are getting huge amounts of popularity and have these crazy fan accounts on on Twitter and Instagram, and you're like, okay, at least they're not discriminating of who they're being crazy for. You know. <laughs> yeah, if it, if we can be YouTube stars too, I mean man. That's how you know uh, we've made it. Well, I mean, I don't know whether I'm going to be a YouTube star or not. I mean, my, my play-by-play reels have a whopping 17 views. Well, so I don't listen. Know. Now, after after you've said that in this podcast, you're going to get like you're going to get up to like 18. Wow. Mm-hmm. Amazing, right? Yeah. It's gonna be it's gonna be fun times when I see the the hit counter go up for oh, and it's, play-by-play yeah. play reels of of D3 baseball from 2017. Oh, I can't wait. I'm gonna watch him right after we're done. Oh boy, but, well, but yeah, I mean that—that's—that's—that's no. that's, that's exactly right, and that's well, why. I, I mean, like, it's important to say it in sports too. Like, but again, there was a story of some nine-year-old kid who was gay that committed suicide, and that's like, yeah. really? How is that even possible? Bullying again—it's not lure, it's not in, innate, it's taught. So it shows that we still have a long way to go, right? Oh, there's uh, yeah, and and it's important not to lose sight of that too. You know, no, and we, we we made progress, but again, to go from less than zero to twenty is exponential, and to go from twenty to forty is going to be exponential too, right? Oh, it's going to take all that effort. It's going to take all that hard work to to do that. And in sports, it's just because sports are thought of in a very defined way, a very narrow way that we are only now just starting to say. Maybe that's not the way it should be, and it doesn't have to be this way, right? That's exactly right. And I think that's and I think that's where we're going. We're not there yet. We're getting closer. And I, I ask you, because I ask this to everybody, like, when do you think we're going to see a major four professional male athlete come out? Because they exist. They are there. The stats tell us that one in ten or one in eleven people are queer in some form, right? Yeah. I know or something it, like that. So it is statistically impossible for there's somebody to be not be playing in the NFL right now and be gay. It's statistically impossible. It would be the weirdest outlier if it was. Even those like I talk with 
with Brock McGillis and you read stories, Anders Nielsen, who's a Canucks goalie, would say, I don't know how you could be gay and play hockey because of the culture. And I said, there are probably some who, who fought through it. And there are, what, 663? I'm, I'm doing the math right in my yeah, head. Without a doubt, there are. There are. It's statistically impossible for there not to be. But they have to be either they could be out, but they don't want to be out publicly, or they're deeply in the closet. And, like, you know that they're there. And that's why I also said, as a journalist and as somebody who can empathize, you don't have to go to somebody who does not have firsthand experience with telling stories and dealing with the community, right? Like, that makes it so if I could, if somebody came to me and said, I want to talk, I would absolutely drop everything and talk with them. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the thing that's a responsibility that we have. And I just don't, and many professional athletes, it's all about, you know, it's a personal drive to succeed. It's a personal will to succeed. And they always talk about the help they get from others. Well, doesn't that also come into the help you get from, say, somebody else if you were gonna if you were gonna come out it's the same thing but most of those people don't have those resources that's why I'm saying even having just some people in the sports media who are able to you know deal with it right because if you're a gay journalist at, at some of these places you're you're probably covering LGBT issues right and I'm not saying that's because they're bad journalists or not able to do the job but that's just their area of expertise something they're passionate about it is true right yeah I'm passionate about LGBT issues in sports because it's my world and that's not nothing that you have as many people who can say directly well yeah exactly that's exactly right and i think that that's again the steps that we have to take but well, and, and you know and your your story is is pushing that needle even further you know if it does it a little bit then i'm i'm happy i i can't say that mine's gonna have the same sort of impact as somebody in the nfl coming out or if some broadcaster came out you know what i mean sure but, but i mean i, I no, you never know it, who's it has, gonna, if it moved if it moved the needle slightly like if i if i see somebody tell their story and reference my name once then I, i'm satisfied i was already satisfied with the fact that everybody said nice things like i got almost nothing bad from anybody yeah and i, I and i knew that was going to happen but you don't really get that feeling until you actually see it right absolutely yeah and that's the that's the other thing that happens when you come out is like if 99% of the people support you you're going to get more support from people who you you weren't expecting mm-hmm. like when i posted on facebook i saw comments from people i was not expecting to see comment or like it on facebook and i got comments from people on twitter and i was like i wasn't expecting that yeah you know like that's that's what i hope it it, it, it means right and and you can connect to people too because mostly friendly people in this community i mean there are some who aren't and again i don't judge them on their sexuality i judge them on being people you know <laughs> yeah you can infer who i'm um uh who i'm referencing here your mileage may vary on that joke but <laughs> uh like that's 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 where it is in sports like we're, we're going to get there and i hope that being just myself helps people understand that you can be yourself in any walk of life, whether it's a different personality, actuality, gender. Again, I grew up like the Jacksonville Jaguars in Philadelphia. That's about <laughs> as different and weird as it gets, right? Oh, man. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, you you know what it's like to be weird and to be – And I've embraced it. That's it. That's right, I mean, that's man. If you can... thing is like if you, if you can embrace who you are, whatever that might be when you're younger – it's so helpful. And I know it's for some people it might be hard to do that because you're either bullied or you feel insecure or you feel like, well, that doesn't feel right. But it is. You are who you are. Don't go out trying to change everything about who you are because 
of people telling you otherwise. If you feel comfortable at who you are, don't give a damn what other people think. The only person you have to validate everything that you do is eventually is yourself. For somebody who doesn't watch Drag Race, you know who you sound an awful lot like right now? Oh, Jesus Christ. You sound just like RuPaul, Matt. And I mean that as the compliment of the highest order. Well, this is what everyone, this is, I think, what is important to say to everybody, not just the LGBT community. Just be who you are. If, If being a drag queen is who you are, please go out and enjoy your life. And like my whole my whole philosophy when I was younger and I wasn't in like thinking I was a different sexuality, my whole line of thought was, listen, your life is great, but it doesn't affect me directly in my day to day life. So I don't have to worry about that. Like, I know that sounds kind of like realistic and very self-centered and it, and it is, but like it's 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 a like it sounds worse than it is, but it's a well-meaning thought like live your life. I don't care. Your life doesn't bother mine and that's my always been my thought when i saw discrimination against other people like what are these people doing to you on your day-to-day life that is making your life impossible to live that you have to go out and hate these people what what is that doing this is not a zero-sum game everybody can end up getting a, a piece of the same pie i mean don't get fat on all of it you know this is talking about any sorts of discrimination whether it's based on gender whether it's based on race or religion why are you hating well, I also like to say they hate us because they ain't us. Right. You know, like, I'm happy. I'm happy who I am, and I also get a better slice of the playing field than you do. <laughs> yeah, and, and, I get to go, and I get to go out and make fun of you and, and probably get away with it. <laughs> you know, like, that, that I, like, I've always said, like, I mean, for me, humor and sarcasm is one way I deal with all of this, and I do. And, again, not everybody can deal with that. Not everybody can be is, is inherently like that as a personality. Not everybody's funny. And uh, we all know that the worst of comedy is the worst of everything, right? Sure. Because <laughs> uh, if you've ever watched some of the worst comedies ever made, love Guru since we're hockey fans. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I've never seen the love Guru, and I don't, I don't plan you, on it. Can you imagine Stephen Colbert and Jim Gaffigan making fun of Hockey Night in Canada, but nobody made fun of Don Cherry? Well, that's... How is that even possible <laughs> when Mike Myers is directing the damn movie? Uh, How they, is were, that they were too scared. They were too scared. They're too scared of Don Cherry. You can make fun. Okay, another name drop. Steve Dangle did an impression in his early year. I don't know if you listen to him. I, I love his work and all the podcasts, all the stuff that he does. He has a video of him doing a Don Cherry impression when he was like just starting out on YouTube. Everyone makes fun of him. How could you not do that? You proclaim to be funny people. <laughs> Idiots! That movie's terrible, by the way. Yeah, well, no, also, I'm well aware. That's why. That's why I've avoided. Well, it also, costs. it's like for me saying like, there's plenty of like. I would also describe this as a bad hockey movie, but there's also tons of bad movies. Like the worst movie ever made is a movie about FIFA. Yes, it's not. It's not the not the room. It's not any of these others' worst movies ever made. No, it's a movie about FIFA. Wait, what movie? The best John Oliver. United Passions. Have you ever watched Don Oliver bit where they talk about FIFA? He's made so many great, funny things, but his best bit was about FIFA. How can you make a movie where the heroes are the executives? (laughs) It's like it doesn't sound like a funny line, but then you think about it, you're like, yeah, wait, how the hell does that happen? I'm gonna make a movie about the, uh, I don't know. Let's see, what's what's a great sports underdog story? I'm gonna make a movie about Remember the Titans, but we're gonna talk about the high school principal instead. <laughs> yeah, like that's right. the kind of movie we're talking about. 
Right. But anyway, I'm getting off topic because I do, and that's my that's my life. If you listen to my podcast, it's all basically tangents and random jokes and running gags. Well, hey, that's, that's nothing wrong with that. Well, it's like if so, and you laughed a lot, so it's like if obviously people are laughing at my jokes, so something's going right. Yeah. And if you noticed, I haven't made fun of the Lions once as we've been watching this game. You know, it's like I, it's it's unbelievable. I I'm I know I I should say Matt and I, I are, are talking about the Lions are on Monday Night Football right now. It's just, 41-17 right now, and as I'm talking, Matt Prater just missed a field goal, yeah. and it looked like the saddest. Sad. Now, I was sitting next to my friend yesterday. We're sitting three rows behind the goalpost in one of the end zone for Jaguars-Giants. And after the fourth down conversion, he's surrender cobring and his head is in his lap. And I was looking at him like, you know the Fox cameras are going to find you, right? <laughs> and, I mean, I'm sitting there in a poncho with a Jaguars hat. And I'm not actually going crazy because I didn't want to do that. But, oh, my God. Ugh. Like, I just, like, they always find the worst possible surrender cobras. I know. And it's like, and, and it's like, I feel bad for the Lions. And we should probably end this soon because I had a dinner here for an hour and a half. And it's getting cold now. But <laughs> I, I, I forgot about your dinner. Bringing it back full circle. That's what we do. That's what a I good love podcast. it. I know. Well, yeah, maybe I, I want you to get to your dinner. So how about why don't we? So how about we do this another time? We could talk more about these issues, too. I, and well, I, that, as I've given you two people that I've given you two guests to talk. to. I know. See, I know you're yeah. you, you're producing this podcast at this point. Well, I mean, like I've been thinking about it, too. And if you could get Colin Martin, congratulations. I'd like to do that. But I don't I know. know I, s- I know. Colin, if you're listening, I, and I'm sure you are. Uh, I, yeah. Well, I always joked about that when I did podcast and i'd reference people and i'm like i know you're listening to this podcast of course you are i of dropped course. your name on twitter too. of course i did that once with one random hockey podcast that i did uh and it's it's called the why hockey podcast it's mainly about the panthers i do with a friend of mine and we referenced the fact that there was an actor on stranger things that's a huge hockey fan and i thought this is the biggest moment for the history of the sport of the nhl because nobody is a famous hockey fan and talks about it. And yet we have this culturally massive show and there's a hockey fan on it. And so this is the biggest moment ever. And I name dropped it and it was a, it was a huge deal. And that, that's kind of what I do. Well, but, there you go. Yeah. And like, like, listen, if you are listening, follow me on Twitter at Matt's Musings One. And please, uh, I was about to say slide into those DMs, but that would have been taken completely the wrong way. So I'm not going to do that. <laughs> yeah, it we might be. On, on this podcast, off, it I'll might take be. Your, I'll take your answer off the air. Yeah. How about that? There you go. I'll take and your you, comments and you, off the air. That sounds a little bit more sports radio as opposed to yeah. uh, nascent bad Twitter culture, which is can be taken the wrong way. And and you said that your out sports story is your pinned tweet right now, so it's right at yep, the top. Yeah, it is a pinned tweet. It's Mass Musings One on Twitter, Facebook. Uh, you go read the story. You can see Facebook. You can see Twitter. You can see email. Uh, DMs are open. I, I mean that seriously. If you're listening and you want to listen to more of me. And you want to talk about things that you're dealing with, please let me know. And obviously I will help because I have to and I feel like it's an obligation, but a, a healthy obligation to the community to do that. I love that. And oh, my God, look at these Lions fans. Please, you know what? Oh, I, we're, no, we're ending this. It's, I mean, the, sad. it's just the worst. I, I've been there. Haven't we been through enough? Um, Maybe. God, I mean, this is, this is somehow a, a new low. Because it's the Jets, and the first play of the game was a pick six. I know. Well, exactly. I know. Oh, Matt Patricia. Matt Patricia. (laughs) I don't know. Remember Eric Mangini? Yes. Josh McDaniels? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
Anyway, I'm gonna I'm gonna save you now. Oh, thank you. All right. Well, Matt, this has been wonderful. Uh, appreciate your time. Appreciate uh, your story. And uh, yeah, we'll have to connect again soon. We are going to definitely do that. It's been a pleasure. Well, there you go, guys. Thank you very much to Matt for the conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. We had a good time doing it, as I think you can probably tell. Uh, that's it. Signing off. Thank you for being here very much. And for same team, I'm Daniel Schreiner. Thank you very much for listening. Bye.